Um, uh, my name is Julio, and I'm uh, one of the pastors here, and I'm just excited to get to preach today. So, But as the kids are leaving um, the room, I just want to ask a couple of questions to some of you guys. So how many of you really get into the gifts and presents during the Christmas, during the Christmas season? Can you raise your hand if you are like uh, Christmas season is your favorite season of the year? All right, there we go, there we go. So Christmas is my favorite season of the year as well. And I love that Christmas has a little bit of uh, like uh, something nostalgic about it. And, uh, you know, if you live in the North, you see the, uh, different in the, the difference in the seasons and, and things just change. And there's a time, you know, where you're more relaxing. But, but uh, so I love Christmas. I love Christmas. Now, if we were to compare, I think, um, the details of our Christmas experiences, I think that there would be a lot of differences. You know, where I grew up, um, the big event is actually not Christmas Day, but, it, but it's uh, Christmas Eve. And so on Christmas Eve, everybody, you know, eats and everybody prepares for that. Christmas Day is dead. Like there's, you know, everybody's just exhausted from the night before. You know, the food is different. Um, most of the decorations, like the trees, are artificial, you know, and uh, it never, ever snows, all right? Uh, now, now, in my family, for example, we, we didn't uh, do Christmas presents at all. Uh, for some reason, my parents, they were very generous throughout the year, but when Christmas came, there was no, there was no list at all. And uh, they would buy presents for, for my grandparents and uh, uncles and aunts and cousins. And I remember going to these massive Christmas celebrations uh, on Christmas Eve. And my cousins are, have things that are new and they're opening their presents. And I'm just like, it would be nice to have something right now, you know. And they would ask us, hey, what did you get for Christmas? And the answer was always, yeah, nothing. You know, nothing. And I don't understand. I, I don't understand why my parents did that. I don't know if it, if it was something with the way they were, uh, they, they grew up, but there were never presents for us uh, at Christmas. Now, my, fam my wife comes from a different, a different environment, and her family did believe in Christmas presents. So now that we have a family, there's a little bit of friction, as you can tell from my, you know, when she says, hey, we got to buy something for the girls, I'm like, no. Oh, like why you know we don't need to do that and she's always like begging me but let's just at least let's buy something you know has to it doesn't have to be something big it can be something really really small and my answer is always yeah no you know and uh and and it doesn't help that she has called me the Grinch a couple of times as well right but but she can't stand it you know she goes out and, and she buys at least something small for them so I think that if we were to compare our Christmas experience and the details of our Christmas experiences, uh, we would have a lot of difference, says. But if we were to compare the overall Christmas experience, I think that we would have some similarities. You know, I think there's this idea of expectation when it comes to Christmas and that Christmas can't get here fast enough. You know, I was uh, at one home this week and I saw this ornament uh, on the dining table uh, that had days till Christmas on top and then this rolling calendar at the bottom. 
you know, in my house is a Google assistant, right? We get up and say, how many days till Christmas? They go, you know, it, it's that. But there's this sense everywhere I go, this sense of anticipation and that we can't wait. And uh, there's, uh, as soon as December hits, we're in this, in this mode of Christmas and Christmas and Christmas. And this this sense of anticipation that Christmas is coming. And the cool part about, about Christmas is that it always comes. You know, at times the days might feel like they're really, really slow, but every year on December 25th, there it is, and the experience of Christmas is, is here. You know, the, um, the, fir- the very first Christmas uh, was a, a, a little bit like that. There was this dynamic of, of waiting with anticipation uh, the very first Christmas that, that ever happened. And many people were uh, expecting this, but they had no idea when it would happen. So there was this group of people that were, that were Jewish that they had uh, been given, the people of Israel, they had been given this promise that the Messiah would one day come. And the Messiah was this uh, promised one, this one that God talked about, that he was going to send to this earth and that he was going to lead his people. And for several generations, for many, many years, people would get up and, and, and they would think, is this the day when the promise is going to happen? And unlike our Christmas, you know, that we have the certainty that it's happening for them, there was no certainty. Many generations went by, and the first Christmas would not happen. Now, I tell you that because I think that in our Christian lives, there's always a time, you know, that we're going through seasons that uh, God might seem silent. You know, that God might seem that he is quiet. You know, there, there are times when we feel like we've been waiting and waiting for something to happen. And we, and we think maybe you ask the question, like, why am I even doing this? Why am I believing? Are those promises that were given in Scripture, are those, are those even real? You know, and, and there's a little bit, not of uh, unhealthy doubt, but just the thinking of, man, what, what, what do I serve? Why do I obey? Why do I see around and look around and my friends and the neighbors and people at work that they're doing, they're just living their lives with, in a way, having so much fun and, I, and, I, and I'm doing something different. Why? Is it even worth it? And in those times, you know, it might seem like God, God is silent and that he's quiet. And whether you are or consider yourself a religious person or not, there's going to be a time, a period in your life when you're going to ask the question, maybe, why am I just, uh, just existing? Why am I just, you know, fighting to survive? Why am I not living? Times when the, you're going to be faced with the reality of the hardships that come with a job, faced with, the, uh, you know, with the, all the things that come with, with, with a family. And you're going you're gonna to wonder, why am, I, why am I even doing this? And because of that reason, I think this story is so important, the story of Christmas. This uh, example about these individuals who waited for so long, it's a reminder to us that just because God is silent, it doesn't mean that he is, that he's still, that he's unaware or that he doesn't care. Just because he's silent, it doesn't mean that he's not active in our lives. So I'm going to look at this, uh, at this uh, uh, passage in Scripture today that you're very familiar with it. But as we move forward, I just want you to think about this idea that if you've ever felt that way, that, that in times of struggle and, and hardships and, and of waiting, you've ever, you've ever asked this question, that that is a very normal question. Those are very normal questions to ask. 
that it is, it is absolutely okay to ask those things. But for my example today, we're going to see a great example of a couple who had a great amount, a great level of patience. And if you have your Bibles with you, I want to encourage you to go to Luke chapter, chapter 1. And uh, we're not going to have everything on the screen, but we're going to read uh, quite a few chapter, quite a few verses um, here. Um, so Luke chapter 1, and I'm going to start in verse 5. Uh, if you're familiar with this passage of scripture and this book, like Luke was a, a historian, but he was a very well-educated uh, being, uh, human being, and he would, he puts details in his story that we shouldn't miss, and you'll notice this as you read the book of uh, th this gospel. But verse 5 says, um, be before we go into verse 5, I want to read verse 4. It says that he's writing so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. And in verse 3, it says, uh, I've decided to write this orderly account. So this is a great book. I, I want to encourage you to read it at home, especially in this season. But verse 5 says, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. So why do they mention this Herod, king of Judea here? Uh, he reigned from uh, 37 B.C. to 4 B.C. And this was just a regular, very normal way for people uh, when they were writing history to say, hey, these events were happening during this period of time. So Luke is, is kind of following the pattern, you know, following the book when it comes to writing. He says, in the uh, Herod, the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. And his wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. So what this is saying is that both uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they came from a lineage of priests. So their parents were priests and their grandparents were priests. And in our context, it would be like these guys are preacher's kids. They, you know, their parents were preachers and their grandparents were preachers. So these guys had been involved in the church for a long period of time, all their lives. Verse 6 says, both of them were righteous in the sight of God observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. I mean, can, do you hear the kind of reputation these people had? I mean, when I think sometimes of preacher kids, um, <laughs> is that's not what I think of, you know. Uh, but for these guys, they were blameless, and they're following the decrees of the Lord, and, they, and they're doing what's right, and, and they're doing everything according to the Lord's commands. And if you were to look at the Old Testament, there are a lot of commands when it comes to the Lord commands in the Old Testament. Verse 7 says, but they were childless. Because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. I want to pause there for a moment because I think that sometimes, you know, we have this idea, and I don't know where it comes from, where if you just follow God, and if you just obey, and if you just do everything right, and if you just, you know, do everything that you've been taught, that things are going to be awesome, and the dreams that you have, they're just going to come your way, and everything's going to be great. But if you've lived long enough, you've realized that sometimes great people, very godly people, faithful people, they still struggle in life. And it's just a reminder of the reality that we live in a, in a broken world. You would think that these people, Elizabeth and Zechariah, who'd done everything right in a way, that, that they would get their dreams at least, that God would have blessed them. Instead, it says they were childless. 
because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. And then it finishes the sentence with this, and they were both very old. All right, um, most people, most um, scholars think that they were at least 60 years old, but most likely they were about 80 years old. So in other words, what Luke is trying to tell us is, listen, things were not great for, for them in a way. I mean, they had been living and they were uh, hanging on to a promise that God, has given, God had given them and, um, and nothing was happening. Nothing was happening. So these people who were devoted to God, who had this passion for God, would get up every morning, every day. They would go to the temple and they would think, is this the day when God would fulfill his promise? And the idea of this promise that they had was uh, actually brought from Genesis chapter 12. Some of you may be familiar. Um, I'm going to read it. It says, uh, Genesis 12 verse 2 says, I will make you into a great nation. And this is a promise that God had given to Abraham. And it says, I will make you into a great nation. And that, that happened. And it says, uh, and I will make your name great. That also happened. And it says, and, I, and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And that's this last section is where this promise gets tricky. Because at the time when Elizabeth and, and Zechariah are living, they've only seen the first part of this promise, and they're thinking, we've seen things happen, and it's not exactly like God blessing the nations through us. You know, there's uh, Abraham had a son who had a son who had many sons, and then they ha moved to Egypt, and it was the people of Israel. And when they moved to Egypt, then they went out of Egypt and to the promised land. It was their land, and things seemed to be taking off, and then everything actually falls apart. The 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 people of Israel split and there's wars and there are kingdoms, kings who are good and then kings who are bad and all these promises that they were thinking were going to happen, actually, it, the, it doesn't look like it's going to happen at all. I mean, it gets worse in um, uh, 65 BC, there's this general from, uh, this uh, Roman general, Pompey the Great, um, who comes actually uh, to Jerusalem and he goes into the temple and goes past the guards and the priests and goes to the Holy of Holy, this place where people of, uh, the people of God uh, thought that God dwelt there. And this, uh, and this uh, general goes there and he enters there. I mean, this place was so holy that the priests that would go in there, um, they would think that if they were unprepared, that God would strike them dead. So many times they would tie a rope on the leg of the priest as they went to the Holy of Holies because if after a few hours there was no movement, nobody was going in there in check, they would pull them out with a rope. It was that sanctity, that, that idea that the people of Israel had. So this general goes and, you know, through the guards, goes through the priest and, and goes into the Holy of Holies. And once he gets there, the people of Israel realize that nothing happened. And the rumor goes out to around the, uh, around the area that the God of Rome, Jupiter, is actually more powerful than the God of the Israelites. And there's this kind of mockery going on, and the people of Israel feel like, where, where is the promise? 
When will this happen? When, when is, is this even real? Will God do what he said he would do? And because of that, for many generations, about, you know, most of the people who had heard about this promise that given to Abraham, uh, people start to doubt. People start to turn their backs on God. And for many generations, 99% of the people who had heard about it, they actually died before the fulfillment of the promise. And, and as they're living their lives, people are like, man, maybe, maybe this was a myth. Maybe this was not real. And I think, as I mentioned before, this is so important to us because there are times in our lives where we probably will wonder, will God do what he said he would do? I just Googled briefly and I just went, I just Googled promises that God has given us. And there was a list of at least 50 different promises that God has given to us. And I thought, man, if I were to go through that list and I, and I lived according, you know, thinking ahead that God's going to do this for me. And if it didn't happen, would I still follow him? Would I still obey him? You know, there are going to be times in, in life when we're going to ask, be asked questions or when we're going to ask those questions ourselves, when things will be hard. For these guys, for Zechariah and Elizabeth, they obeyed God and they were going after, after God one day and the next day and the next day and the next day, not even knowing if that was going to be the day. But for them, they were faithful and they continued to go to the temple. Verse 8, if you want to follow along, says, Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So to give you a, an idea of what's going on here, first of all, there were about 20,000 priests for Israel. There are 24 divisions and about 900 to 1,000 priests for each uh, division. And each division would serve at the temple for two weeks a year. And the person who was, the priest who was, um, selected like here, like it says here, by lot to, to go into the temple, it was the opportunity of a lifetime. Like that random, it, it rarely happened. So for, for Zechariah going to the temple, like this is like, this is awesome. This is great. And he goes, and then if to get the idea, you know, he goes, the priest would go into the Holy of, would go into the temple and he would be praying and the people would kind of come back and pray for him. They would pray, hey, don't let him die. You know, as he's up there, don't let him die. Protect him. And, and then the priest would pray for the people outside and, for the, and for, the, for the nation overall. Verse 11 says, then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah, and I, I want you to notice there the details that actually Luke says the right side. He could have said just, hey, you know, an angel appeared. But he says, at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, 
Do not be afraid. By the way, this is just the normal response when it comes to angels in Scripture. Like we think these are like great uh, beings that are awesome and, you know, like, it, no. Every time that an angel shows up in Scripture, it, the next words that come out of his mouth are, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And Zechariah said, said, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. Why would he bring back the people of Israel? Because many had turned their backs on God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Then verse 18 says, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. I mean, from one, you know, from one perspective, perspective I, think, uh, I think of Zechariah uh, being a righteous man, being a priest, and having this, uh, um, you know, experience with being around godly people. And, and part of me thinks, like, Zechariah, it's an angel. You know, like, how could you not believe him? But I also think of the reality of what he's living and he's thinking, he's looking around, listen, uh, it, it, it is pretty much impossible. It is pretty much impossible. So he asks the question to the angel, and then the angel says, I am, I am Gabriel. In other words, I'm an angel. I was sent here by God. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens. Because you did not believe my words, which will come true at the appointed time. I love this at the appointed time because, because it seems like God had this marked on his calendar. Like he was not like he was delaying. Do I do this or do I not do it? But it's like, no, I know exactly when I will fulfill my promise at the appointed time. Then he says, meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. From uh, Luke 162, if you want to check it at home, there's people that are coming and uh, trying to talk to Zechariah in signs. So a, a lot of people think that uh, he was not only not able to speak, but he also couldn't hear. But we do, we do not know that for sure. Verse 23 says, when his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, he said. She said, in these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among people. Among people. What these last words from Elizabeth are, are very true. But this story is really just a, 
a preview to the main event. You know, for many generations, God was silent, and, and this is the, the very first time in hundreds of years where he comes and, and speaks to Zechariah and to Elizabeth and to, to the people of Israel. And if you were to continue reading the rest of the chapter, chapter you will know that the next story is the conversation that this same angel Gabriel has with a virgin, with Virgin Mary. And, and Joseph, that uh, they were pledged to be married, and the news come about what's going to happen next. So this is, just, this is just a preview, but it's also a reminder that God fulfills his promises. That, you know, in times when uh, things might be difficult and hard, that, that God will do what he has asked us, what he has promised to do. I think this is a great reminder, especially for all of us in this Christmas season, because this is the true meaning of Christmas. It's a reminder that God fulfilled his promise. The good question is, or the greatest question is, will we be part of a remnant? Will we be part of a, of a group of people that in spite of the things that are happening around us, that will remain faithful? You know, would you be that unique teenager that looks around and, and sees that, wow, they get to do this, they get to do that, my parents wouldn't be okay with that, but I, I, I would love to be part of that. Would you be part of a group of unique teenagers that actually take a stand and say, no, I, I will follow God and I will remain faithful to Him? Would you be that unique college student you know, that maybe is tempted to uh, take the easy route at times. And uh, when you know that God has called you to be faithful, you know, would you be that unique individual that would hold on to the va values and the character that God ha has given you? Um, when things may seem very, very difficult at, at your job, at home, would you be part of a small group of people, of a remnant that will be faithful to God in spite of what God does or not does for us. See, I think that is the, the true inspiration, I think, about this, this passage. That Zechariah's story, Elizabeth's story, Mary's story, it's really our story. That, that, that it's, it's us. It's us being able to look at God and see God whether my dreams are ever fulfilled or not, whether I get to live the way I want to live or not, whether you do what I've asked you to do for me or not, I will be faithful to you. See, because when God is silent, it doesn't mean that he is still. He's still involved. He still wants to be part of it. But at the appointed time, he would do the right thing for you and for me and for his people. In a moment, we're going to do, uh, we're going to celebrate communion. And communion is this time where we just come together and remember the sacrifice that Jesus did in the cross for us. You know, and for Christmas, we remember the, the birth of Jesus. Every Sunday, we celebrate this as a reminder that uh, that boy that was born in a stable, uh, that he also grew and gave his life for us. 
And in a moment, I'm, I'm going to pray. We have four stations here. Uh, I believe the one in the back is uh, gluten-free. But I'm going to pray, and when our servers come, you can, you can come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for, for your plan. And God, many times I realize I don't know all the details of what you have planned for our futures and, and for humanity. But when I go to scripture and I see how you are faithful and how you do what you say you'll do, God, I want to believe that. God, I pray that as a group of people, whether we've been in the church for a long time or we've just, you know, are new to, to Christianity and the faith, I pray that we would be that kind of people that stays strong and stands firm in times when life is uncertain. And I pray, my prayer, God, is that we would be reminded today that you are a God that fulfills his promises. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name that I pray. Amen.